0: This morning, um, because this is Love Month, I've chosen a lesson truly on love. And um, I always think of Valentine's Day as a good opportunity to refresh our minds or to learn, if we've never heard, about Jesus' love that should be active in each one of us. In Second Peter, and please don't turn to this, and you can start the tape if you want to. In Second Peter 1, verses 12 and 13, Peter said, I want to remind you of all the things you've been taught Because you need your pure mind stirred up by way of reminding or remembrance. When we were in Israel this time, um, someone yelled at me. Now, I am fragile and sensitive, just as a lot of you in the room are. And when this person yelled at me, I was absolutely devastated, really deeply hurt. And I'm not a brooder. And I'm not a person to uh, go on for a long time carrying sad feelings. I want to get on with life and have fun. And I like to get things like that out of the way and pray about them. And I usually just take a scripture and apply it and move on to the next thing. And I don't like my family to brood. And I've never liked people that went into those withdrawing silent moods. I mean, I don't like what they do. And so, um, but I did. I began to brood and I felt so crushed and all these funny little feelings inside. And in my heart, I kept thinking, what scripture would cover this? Now, ordinarily, if I can pull a scripture out of the Word and apply it, it has that power. You know, the Word of God is quick and powerful. And it has a power that just hits inside, and you're released from those feelings that you really don't want after all. But I had a great fear, and the fear was, if I gave in to uh, forgiveness immediately... Now, I wanted to tell you that the person that did this was, and this is awful to say, but it's true, they were 100% wrong. I did not deserve to be yelled at. Now, there are times in life like that. It's usually not that way, but that's one of those times. And so um, I knew they were wrong, and I wanted, um, I wanted them to understand that they weren't to speak to me like that ever again, so that there was a fear if I gave in too soon, they would. Have you ever experienced that? Yeah. We think, now wait a minute, I've got to teach him a lesson here. We don't leave it up to the Lord, you know, we've got to do it. And um, the other thing was that they might hurt me that deeply again, and I felt, you know, all these things were going on in my mind. Well, I did not handle it well, and it took me hours and hours and hours to get over it, which is very much unlike me. In fact, about a day and a half, I guess. On the outside, I was fine, but inside, I wasn't. And when I got home, I was sitting in church that very first Thursday night, and Chuck was speaking on Second Peter um or 1 Peter 2.20. And in the Amplified Bible, this is what it says. And as he spoke on it, I thought, oh, that's what I was supposed to have done. And it just reminded me that we need to continually go over these truths in God's word so that when these things come, you know, they just come that quickly. And if we don't have that word right at our command, how we do brood and fuss and fret and go down into the valleys and stay there. But this is the scripture. Um, When you do wrong and you take it patiently, that's wonderful. But he said, but if you bear patiently with suffering, which results when you do right, and that is undeserved, it is acceptable and well-pleasing to God. What God was saying to my heart by the Holy Spirit is, K, when you're buffeted for something that you're not guilty of, When you take that in a sweet, loving spirit, that's well-pleasing to me. And I thought of all the classes I've had on being pleasing to God, and it was an opportunity to be pleasing to Him, and I blew it. I I share it with you this morning, again, to show you how we need to keep going over these things. If I'd only remembered that scripture in 1 Peter 2.20, or if I'd only been freed up enough to let the Holy Spirit bring that to mind, I would have behaved in a way that would have pleased the Lord So this morning we're going to have this refresher course in walking in agape, which is Jesus' love. Nancy Missler has a super class on this. Now, the one that she gave at Calvary was her very first. And she and I have talked about this probably three or four times since. And she said, okay, it's been so refined and so changed, and a lot more examples. And she has these classes in homes, and women are just being blessed. By the scores, how many of you have attended a class in a home? Do you give witness to that? How about in the home? Raise your hand if you have attended. Yeah. Was it a real blessing? I'm still taking it right now. And you're being blessed. I yes. I, this is what I'm hearing from all the women who have taken it in the home. It was very heavy when we had it at Calvary, and she gave uh, much, much more material than we were able to assimilate at that time. So the Lord has just shown her how to cut it down, and I think you would really enjoy it. And um, would you be willing to let people know where it is? Um, it's in Hills right now. She sent me a letter with the address and I. Okay, could they see you Do You want to stand up a minute? If you're interested in taking this class, Ana Gabe, when your name? My name is Laura DeSutter. <laughs> okay, Laura DeSutter. See her after class and get the address, and I know you'll be blessed by it. One reason I'd like for more women to take the class is because I can only skim over it this morning and next week, and it's such a deep subject, and it needs continual study. I read 1 Corinthians thirteen four 4-7 every day for a full year. Now, I should read it every day the rest of my life, probably. But I knew I needed to program this into my mind, my life, and my heart so desperately that every day I would read that in addition to whatever else I was reading the word. What do we mean by love? And we have to go over this very quickly, and most of you already know it, but don't close off your minds because you know it. It's a word in English that is used so casually, and as Chuck says, I love my wife and I love peanuts. You've heard that. (laughs) And, I mean, it's such a big word, and we go, oh, love you, and we don't really love them at all. Uh, We might like them or we might be fond of them, but it isn't the kind of love we're talking about this morning. There are four kinds of love in the Greek language expressed by Greek words. The first is stergo, S-T-E-R-G-O, and it's instinctive love. It's the kind of love most mamas have when they first see their brand new baby. You know that feeling? Oh, I just can't believe it. It just, it's there. I saw it when I saw Bradley, my first grandson, through the nursery window. I remember this feeling that came over me. I cannot describe it, but I think the word stergo is the one that applies Secondly, we have phileo, which is brotherly love. That's your friendship. You love lots of people. I always say I have lots of best friends, and I suppose most of us do. Very few people have just one very best friend, unless it's your husband or something. We have lots of best friends, most of us. But phileo is that brotherly love, that friendship kind of love. And then we have eros, which is romantic love, which draws couples together in marriage, we hope, and we're still hoping for that in this chaotic society but eros is the sexual love the romantic love and then the fourth kind of love which i want to talk to you about this morning is agape a-g-a-p-e some people call it agape i don't know there isn't any person around to tell me exactly how to pronounce it but god's love and it's a giving love it was manifested in christ it can only be imparted and active in us when we are in fellowship or right relationship with Jesus, and the Holy Spirit is at work within us. As Christians, this is the kind of love that should be evidenced by our lives. Love is best defined by 1 Corinthians 13, 4-7, and I want us to read it together this morning. And please read it thoughtfully and prayerfully. And as you read it through, let conviction come into your heart. Let the Holy Spirit speak to you. That's how we grow. As I studied this, I thought, oh, if nobody else needs it, I need it so desperately, Lord, this morning. 1 Corinthians 13, verses 4 to 7. If you're a Bible marker and you haven't marked this, mark it. The greatest verses on love in the whole Bible they really define what Jesus' love is. And the word charity is used, and charity is a good word there in that charity is always a giving love. And this agape love is a giving love and expects nothing in return. We know very little about that kind of love unless we are a Christian. Let's read it together. Love suffereth long and is kind. Love envieth not, love vaunteth not itself, is not puffed up, doth not behave itself unseemly, seeketh not her own, is not easily provoked, thinketh no evil, rejoiceth not in iniquity, but rejoiceth in the truth, beareth all things, believeth all things, hopeth all things, and endureth all things. I want to read it to you out of the Amplified Bible. Love endures long and is patient and kind. Does that describe you? Could you put your name in there? Love never is envious, nor boils over with jealousy, is not boastful or vainglorious, does not display itself haughtily. It is not conceited, arrogant, and inflated with pride, it is not rude, unmannerly, and does not act unbecomingly. Love, God's love in us, does not insist on its own rights or its own way, for it is not self-seeking. It is not touchy or fretful or resentful. It takes no account of the evil done to it. Oh, isn't that hard when somebody does you evil and you just don't even you just don't even see it? That love of Jesus is so at work in your heart, you just uh, take no account of it, pays no attention to a suffered wrong. Isn't that beautiful? It does not rejoice at injustice and unrighteousness, but rejoices when right and truth prevail. Love bears up under anything and everything that comes, is ever ready to believe the best of every person, Its hopes are fadeless under all circumstances, and it endures everything without weakening. Do you think we need this lesson this morning? (laughs) If we could put our names in there, we wouldn't need the lesson. We can put Jesus' name in there because he's all those things and more. No matter what your circumstances today, if you will allow this kind of love to be worked out through your life, And if you'll forsake bitterness and wrath and anger and malice and revenge, hatred, rudeness, haughtiness, enviousness, and jealousy in favor of walking in Christ's love, you will become the emotionally healthiest person God intended you to be or you could ever be. It's embracing all these other bitter attitudes that causes us to be so emotionally ill I've shared this before. Some years ago, I went as an observer to a group therapy class in a psychiatric hospital. And there were about 12 people in the group. And every single one of these 12 people had an unforgiving, bitter spirit towards somebody who had wronged them. Every single one of them. Now, they probably had a right to that spirit. They probably had been wronged. Every one of them. I have no doubt in my mind at all. But what did holding on to that attitude do? It had him in a psychiatric hospital. If they had given it over to Jesus and walked in His love and put away these things as Ephesians tells us to do, Ephesians 4:31 and 32, let go of all this stuff, all this garbage out of your life, and let the love of Jesus just flow through you, they could have been out in the sunlight enjoying the beauty of God's creation. I was thinking, I'm always amused by this picture in my mind. I read where um, Lord Snowden and Princess Margaret were having terrible conflict in their marriage. And this um, society journalist was writing in the newspaper and she said when they walked in the room, he had smiles all over his face and was happy and she came in a mask of fury. And I could just see it. Now he was having fun. And their marriage was a mess and it's come out since that it was just awful. But he seemed to have some kind of ability to put it behind him and have a good time where she came in just eaten and corroded by all this that's uh, happening. And if you've watched and noticed pictures of Princess Margaret through the years, she is not aging beautifully or gracefully. I feel there's just so much anger and, and all there. But if you let go of that and walk in Jesus' love, what a beautiful, happy life. God has for you and whatever your circumstances are this morning now I'm not up here this morning to tell you if you're in a marriage and your husband's beating you and molesting the children that you're to stay in that marriage but I am up here to say you are to get hold of Christ's love for him and let that love of Jesus Christ flow through you towards that man Because that kind of love has power in it. It has power to bring about changes in people. Sometimes you have to separate, and I understand that. Very few of us have to separate. Most of us. God is speaking to, and he's saying, you stay in that marriage, and you stay in that relationship, and you walk in love. And lots of us would like, not me, but a lot of you would like to have an escape out of your marriage And that's not God's word to you this morning. He's telling you to walk in love. Okay, I encourage you today to read these verses over and over and over and allow this love to be in you and abound. Not just be in you in a trickle, but just to abound, just to flow forth from your life. God's word, as you read this over and say, Lord, I'm not long-suffering. But I want your love in me that I will be long suffering. Now, I don't get long suffering today, uh, long suffering love today, and it lasts me the rest of my life. When the trial comes in, I have to appropriate that love for that situation. But if I am walking in the Spirit and allowing the Holy Spirit to flow through me, and if I am living to please the heart of God, in those moments, this agape love will, this agape will flow through you. And you will express and show forth that healing love that God wants us to have in our life. Okay, as Christians, this love must be the motive for everything we do. If you're taking notes, write motivation uh, in capital letters because so much of what we do as Christians comes from the wrong motivation. I talked to a lady recently who attends Calvary all the time. She's always here. Her marriage is a disaster. Her husband is very jealous of her relationship with the Lord. He does not understand it at all. He's very uh, angry with her for embracing salvation. And I detected in this woman's heart a thing of revenge. This man had treated her very badly for a long period of time, and she'd been under this bondage of his bad treatment. She found Jesus Christ as her Lord and Savior, and she had a wedge over his head. Do you know any woman like that? or you, you know, Where she was able to say, I don't need you anymore. Who needs you? I go to church all the time. I get all I need there, all the fulfillment, all the everything. And she left him at home angrier and angrier, Hating Chuck, hating the church, hating Christians, and hating Christianity. Now, would love do that? Would love clutch on something as revenge to a husband and cease loving the husband or showing him love? That isn't what love does. Love warms the heart of the person who is loved, and love draws people. Make sure that your motivation is right in whatever you do. The Bible tells us our hearts are deceitful and wicked, and our motives are not always pure. Sometimes we perform great deeds just so people will notice and tell us how wonderful we are, and one of the tests of why we did the great deed is if anybody notices it. I have seen people do marvelous things, and when nobody notices it, they go off in a hoof that you wouldn't believe. Do you know why Chuck doesn't like flowers on the platform in front of the pulpit? Because in our denomination, every Sunday, somebody in our church donated flowers. Different people. And if Chuck ever forgot to thank the person from the pulpit, woe be unto Chuck. He would get in trouble every time. Now, what was the motive in giving the flowers? Now, a lot of you have probably given flowers to churches and you didn't want any um, reward. You just did it out of love for Jesus. But he walked in that for about 14 or 15 years and he said, I don't care if I never have another basket of flowers in the church. And um, it, it came from, he realized that people did that to be seen of men. And then you know what? They became competitive in their giving of flowers. You know, well, she gave a $10 basket, I'll give a $15 basket. Well, mine's going to be a $25 <laughs> And, you know, pretty soon the platform's flowers and no room for check. No, oh, that's an exaggeration. <laughs> I walk in the fear of God, I can't tell you that, but <laughs> I have to be very honest. But nevertheless, uh, a competition did come in. And if you admired one person's flowers more than he did the others, he was in trouble. So no flowers. And that's one of the reasons, because the motivation of the heart wasn't right. They did it to be seen of men. In 1 Corinthians 13, uh, the first uh, three verses, Paul deals with the motivation. In chapter 12 of 1 Corinthians, he teaches about spiritual gifts. And some of the spiritual gifts are word of wisdom and word of knowledge, faith, gifts of healing, working of miracles, prophecy, discerning of spirits, and various kinds of unknown tongues. Now, most of us are pretty starry-eyed about people who have any of these gifts or use any of these gifts. And I grew up in a church where uh several of these gifts were very, very much in use. And as a little girl I go, wow, you know, they can do this and and they can um they have the word of knowledge and they can tell what that person's thinking or what that blah 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 blah. And it was just I would just be breathless and think, oh, they must be spiritual giants and I wish I were deep enough in the Lord that I could have those gifts flowing through my life. And I just, and most of you are that way. I know if we see somebody with gifts of healing, we just assume that they must be the most deeply spiritual people in the world or they wouldn't have those gifts. Now, let me tell you, that is not true. I know people who have those gifts who are motivated by greed. I do. And I've seen them rise and I've seen them fall. I have, and I hate to share um, some of these things with you, but I want you to be aware. I have seen people that had healing lines that were not motivated by love at all. They were motivated by fame. They were motivated by the power and the uh, notoriety it gave them, or or the fame, or the uh, prestige it gave them. When we were in Israel a couple years ago, our tour guide, who is very, very dear to us, and his wife, who we've been witnessing, to, as you know, and we keep praying for them, and they're moving closer to Jesus all the time, and Chuck and I are getting more and more excited about what we're seeing happening and what we're hearing from them. But um, we have been witnessing so heavily, and some Christians had come over from the States, and this woman told our tour guide, she said, I have divorced my husband and left my children because God has called me into the ministry of healing. Now, our tour guide is Very family oriented. His mom and dad and wife and children are just his life. He would do anything for them. And he said to Chuck, that is not God. That is not God that has told her that. I know that is not God. And Chuck said, you're right. God doesn't call a mother to leave her children and divorce her husband to have a healing line. It would be very rare and unusual for the Lord to do that. And the lack of love was immediately apparent to this man who is not born again. What is the motivation behind everything we do? As I was saying, we're starry-eyed and we think these people are deeply spiritual and they aren't always deeply spiritual. It interests me that Paul took several of the highest points of the gifts. The first one he took in chapter 13 here, was though I speak with the tongues of men and angels and have not love, I am a sounding brass and a tinkling cymbal. I'm just noise. I am nothing but noise. Though I could speak in languages I had never heard before and never known, tongues of men and angels, though I could do that. Now that sounds pretty great to me. Doesn't it to you? Would you like to speak with the tongues of men and angels? wonder what angel tongues are like. I think that would be a pretty exciting thing to do. But even if you could do that, And you didn't have this agape love motivating you. You're just a bunch of noise. And secondly, he said, even though I had the gift of prophecy and I understood all mysteries and I had all knowledge and I had uh, faith, even if I had all faith, so that I could remove mountains. Now, he doesn't say some faith or some knowledge or can understand some mysteries or had some prophecy. He says all. If I have the gift, not on prophecy, if I have the gift of prophecy, understand all mysteries, all knowledge, and though I have all faith so that I could remove mountains. Now, I am a mountain mover in prayer, and I'm not bragging or boasting. It's God's work in my heart, and I have that kind of faith that I know I can move mountains in prayer. And you should know it, too. And you know why? Because the word of God says you can do it if you believe in your heart and doubt not. And I know I'm a mountain mover in prayer. But if I move mountains and my motivation for moving mountains is not love, it profiteth me nothing. I am nothing. I am useless. That's what it says. I'm nothing. I am absolutely useless. Now, I would think that one of the most valuable people in the body would be the person who can move mountains in prayer But if they can move mountains, or I would think if they knew all mysteries or had all knowledge or had the gift of prophecy, they would be the greatest in the body. They're useless. That's what that word, I am nothing, that's what that means. They're absolutely worth nothing in the body because they aren't motivated by love. I didn't say this. The Holy Spirit inspired Paul to write this. And though I bestow all my goods to feed the poor, ooh, If I gave everything I possessed, we see this in the world all the time. We see people just give away everything they have to feed the poor. And yet, what is the motivation underneath it? And the last thing Paul says on this, Though I give my body to be burned and have not love, it profiteth me nothing. Probably the greatest sacrifice we think of this morning is giving our body to be burned. But you gain nothing if you give your body to be burned. You can go on the mission field and be burned at the stake or shot before a firing squad. And if you're not there motivated by the love of Jesus Christ, as described in verses 4 to 7, if that isn't your motivation for going, you might as well have stayed home. Because you're profitless, you're not of any use in the kingdom ministry. Very sad, but very heart-searching. When people use these gifts that are described in chapter 12 of 1 Corinthians, we, as children of God, are to look for that fruit of love. It is the evidence of the Holy Spirit working in you. Galatians 2.20, the fruit of the Spirit is what? love and that is the word agape. Okay. I think I should bring this up. I've seen Christians so driven by their own needs for success or power or recognition or even money that they would destroy anyone who stood in their name in their way and use spiritual means to do it. They would develop a ministry or they would act in a horrible, horrible hatred or or whatever, down deep in their heart is this boiling need, and they do some great spiritual thing, and everybody thinks they're marvelous. But you know what Jesus thinks? Their works are wood, hay, and stubble. And in that day, when they're tried by fire, they won't be rewarded for a single one of them—not a single one—because they weren't motivated by love. In First Corinthians thirteen four to seven, we're showing what love is and what love is not. And we're going to review that in detail another time. This morning, as our hearts beat with God's heart and his desires become our desires, I believe we want to walk in his love, but we need to be shown in a very practical way how. There's a mystical impartation of that love. You know, it's like the wind, which you can't see, but you see the results of it. God does impart this love to us by the Holy Spirit, and then we have the choice as to whether or not we want to walk in it or not. God's love is shed abroad in our hearts by the Holy Spirit, the Bible tells us. But we choose whether to walk in that love that he has placed within us. By looking at Jesus, our example, we see agape, God's love in action. And this is the heart of the lesson this morning. And that is, how did Jesus love? And we want to talk about it in a very practical way, and we'll zoom through rather rapidly, I hope. When Jesus was destru- uh, instructing his disciples in John thirteen thirty four and 35, and will you turn to that with me, please? John 13, verses 34 and 35. Jesus said, A new commandment I give unto you, that ye love one another as i have loved you Let's see a new commandment i give unto you that ye love one another as i have loved you that ye also love one another by this shall all men know that ye are my disciples if ye have loved one to another how interesting jesus didn't say if you move mountains did he he didn't say if you speak with the tongues of men and angels everybody were gonna, everybody was going to know you were his disciple he didn't say if you knew understood all mysteries and had the gift of prophecy and under, and had all knowledge, they know you were his disciple. How are people to know that you're a disciple of Jesus Christ? By loving one another. Believe me, it would be much easier to speak in the tongues of men and angels. Believe me, it's much easier to move mountains through prayer. Much easier. Um, I was meeting in San Diego with some of the pastor's wives a couple of weeks ago, and I had said on a tape a long time ago, I don't remember when I said this, but I said, being a pastor's wife would just be great if you didn't have to deal with people. And I don't like that statement, and I'm sorry I said it, but nevertheless, I think that's true of all of us. It'd be easy to walk in love if there was only us, wouldn't it? You know, it's its dealing with other people and interpersonal relationships that are so difficult but jesus said in these verses a new commandment now he said in another place i command you and jesus didn't say that often did he but he said i command you that you love one another that's how strongly he wants us he insists that we walk this way and as i have loved you you're supposed to love another okay how did jesus love them First of all, he prayed for them. John seventeen nine. You don't need to turn to these. I'll turn to them quickly and read them to you. Um, Jesus said, I pray for them. Speaking of his disciples, I pray not for the world, but for them which thou has given, given me, for they are thine. And then he says he prayed for everyone who would come to him. Jesus has prayed for you. And that's a super blessing to my heart this morning. But Jesus showed love by praying for his disciples. Do you know, I know mothers who don't even love their children or their husbands enough to pray for them every day. I do. You know why? Because praying for people is difficult work. It takes time. It takes energy. It takes concern. It takes compassion. It takes caring. That's why prayer meetings are so small. A church can have uh, 15,000 people and 25 people at a prayer meeting. I'm not talking about Thursday night's Bible study, which is packed. But I'm talking at an intercessory prayer meeting where you go not to be prayed for, but to pray for other people. It's interesting how few people have the intercessor's heart. It's because you've got to have the love of Jesus stirring in your heart with such a burning fire that's unquenchable. The women who go to intercessory prayer meetings, I believe, are going to be some of the most rewarded in the kingdom of heaven. I really do. Because they're willing to give of their time and their energy and the love of Jesus Christ burns so brightly in their hearts that they're willing to go and deny themselves and pray for people. Some people they'll never meet here on earth. There are people that they pray into the kingdom. There are things that happen in this church on Sunday morning and all through the week that are wrought in that prayer room on Monday morning for that intercessor's prayer group. Those people are the ones, and if you have a prayer group in your home and you're concerned with the ministry here at Calvary or with other people's lives, uh, you are responsible before God for bringing people into the kingdom. And when I see people moved on Sunday morning towards Jesus Christ, or I hear about Saturday night or Monday night when these uh, people who have never heard of him are here and they take that walk down the aisle into the back room and receive the Bible and confess Christ as Savior, I praise God for every intercessor who's borne that in prayer. I don't believe a soul is born into the kingdom without somebody interceding. Now I may be wrong, but that's my own feeling about it. Chuck was telling me that a few weeks ago on a Saturday night, a uh, motorcycle guy was in the service, kind of a hell's angel type, no shirt, just a vest, and uh, tattoos, you know, <laughs> up and that. And uh, he started up towards the platform while Jim, I mean uh, Randy, uh, was speaking. And the ushers grabbed him, and they took him outside, and they presented the gospel of Jesus Christ to him. And he broke down like a baby and wept and accepted Jesus and said, I want to be baptized. And they took him over the drinking fountain and poured water over (laughs) (laughs) him. And what a blessing. What a blessing. But the battle was fought in the secret place of prayer. God bring men and women to you break down those barriers and those walls and let them feel your love and your strength prayer takes time and believe me intercessors are only born out of agape love is the motivating force Jesus exemplified that he said I pray for them he prayed for his disciples he also taught them how to pray How many of you mommies in this room, and you will hear this by tape, are taking time to teach your babies how to pray? We taught them before they could hardly talk. Not that we're all wisdom. And and Chuck told you we know less about raising children now than we did before we had any. And that's true. He took time with them. Jesus took time with his disciples. He called them up into the mountains apart with him. He called them out into the sea with him. He put him in the boat on the Sea of Galilee and said, let's row away from shore. The multitudes are pressing on us. We need time alone together. Do you exemplify the love of Jesus Christ in your home and in your friendships by taking time with people? I was reading an article the other day about answers that we give that are really to shut people up. We don't want to take time with their problems or what they're doing. So we give some pat answers. Oh, look unto Jesus. Keep your eyes on Jesus. If they had been able to keep their eyes on Jesus, they wouldn't need us. And they're trying to express that. Help me. Take time with me. Show me you care. Show me you love and we will go. Pat them on the back. Be fed, be warm, go your way. And we forget all about their needs. Oh, take time with people around you. It isn't always easy. In fact, when my children were growing up, I had a theory that the phone always rang at the most inopportune times. We had two phone lines in our house, and Chuck didn't have an office. We had hippie kids coming in and out. and We had our four little ones, and Chuck was gone most of the time. Invariably, if I would beat up a cake while I was in the part that you had to keep beating, either the doorbell would ring or the phone would ring. Have you had that experience? And it usually was somebody, one day I remember this boy came by and he said, Kay, where's Chuck? And I said, he's out on calls. He said, well, I just murdered a man, <laughs> you know. Another time I was in, I think a Sherry one time had a convulsion while I was beating a cake. I think the Lord didn't want me to give my family sugar, but I just didn't know it then. <laughs> but we have to put those things aside. So what if the cake doesn't get baked for dinner? People are more important than cakes or cookies or anything else, Right. Take time with people. Let Jesus' love flow through you to do these things. He listened to them. I read an article recently that little three-year-old children build their... their, The self-esteem of a three-year-old is formed partially by how much the people around them listen to them. Now, I've been around little children that say the same thing over and over and over and louder and louder and louder. And you know Why? Nobody's really listening. They're in their own conversation. I've been guilty of this when the grandchildren are around sometimes. They go, Grandma, look at this. And I'm, oh, boy, we're knee-deep in this marvelous conversation. And, you know, I've seen it 82 times, and who wants to look again? But that little heart is saying, Grandma, let me know I'm important. I just want you, Grandma, to just turn your head over this way a little bit and acknowledge that I'm special to you. You know, we all need that. We all need to know we're special, We need to let one another know that we're special to each other. Listen to people. Acknowledge that you hear them. One day I was talking on the phone to somebody, and I was trying my best to get my point across, and the person on the other end said, I hear you, and I knew they really did. I knew they really did. I hear you. They heard uh, with their eyes and their ears. I read Norm Wright said to listen with your eyes, observe the person. See what they're doing. Watch their eyes. Look for the places of pain on their face. Uh, uh, Listen with your ears. The emotion behind the words. Do they say certain words with more uh, uh, emotion? And and are they saying, I was, or, or are they being very monotone? That's very important when you're listening to people. Sometimes the monotones are struggling the most and they're afraid to express their emotions. They're all locked up inside. And then listen with your body, lean forward, show you, uh, show them that you're intent on what they're saying, and that they're the most important person in uh, the room at that moment. I go into the office before the end of service on Sunday mornings, immediately, if you've seen me go out, I've never shared this publicly before, but I'm going to tell you why. Usually when I stay out in the sanctuary, and it happened last Sunday night, someone comes to me with a very, very heavy problem, very heavy. And while I'm talking to that person, other people are going by and they tap me on the shoulder, they go high behind this person's head. Sunday night, this lady who doesn't live in this area, so I can share it, had just told me that her 17-year-old son had been killed three months ago. And I saw the pain and the hurt, and just at that moment, a lady I haven't seen for over two years came up and said, Hi, Kate! And I was in that terrible dilemma of I cannot discount what she's just said and turn and go, Hi, how are you? you know And so I have found that I'm better off if I just go in the office because I don't want to hurt either one. And I went home afraid that i had hurt the lady who came up and said hi and she wouldn't understand what she had just said to me and why I couldn't. I went, you know, hi. But she wouldn't understand why, you know, after not seeing her for two years I didn't jump up and hug her which I normally would do. And yet I couldn't discount what this one had said. And it's that terrible tug. But I am so intent in my heart on listening to you. And we should be listening to each other fully. We hear things that they don't say. And many times when we're listening to other people, we hear the silent scream. It doesn't come out in words. It comes out through observation, doesn't it? Really listening. Jesus really listened to the disciples. <clears throat> okay, he saw in them great worth And he let them know it Agape love does that What is that little uh, expression My kids, my grandkids have it on their t-shirt uh, Don't something be discouraged with me God isn't finished with me yet I, What is it? Be patient with me God isn't finished with me yet And when Jesus looked at his disciples He had the patience and love to instruct them and to show them what they could become. And then he told them how valuable they were to him. You know, there's not a sparrow that flies in the air, but God isn't aware of. And you're more valuable than any sparrow that flies in the air. Isn't it marvelous? Chuck's mom, Chuck's dad, wrote a note to Chuck's mom one time, and I still have it tucked away at home. And they were at a ballet. It's before, way before they really came to knowledge of Jesus Christ. But dad wrote the note. Of all the women in the room, you are the most beautiful. Oh, you know, <laughs> <woo>. <laughs> it's a way of making people feel special. And I think that we should make everyone feel special. You're all worth much more to God than a sparrow that falls to the ground. And yet he's aware of every little sparrow. Now, sparrows fly in, in great big, um, you don't call it flocks. What do you call it? Flocks of birds? Otherwise, it doesn't sound right. Well, okay. Um, And, and they, you know, you see a whole bunch of them, and sparrows are not the prettiest bird. In fact, I always look for some bird that isn't a sparrow in a group of sparrows. But, um, because I, you know, they're, they're special. But there's not one of those sparrows, which I kind of think are very ordinary, that God does not know about. And you're more worth to him than any sparrow. Okay, Jesus comforted them. John fourteen one to 4 I'm not going to read that to you this morning, but I want you to read it later. He said, Oh, don't let your hearts be troubled. Don't let them be afraid. You believe in God, believe in me. I'm going to go and prepare a place for you. I'm going to leave you for a little while, but I'm going to come back, and I'm going to receive you unto myself, that where I am there, you're going to be also. Oh, don't be disheartened and discouraged. Jesus encouraged them. Okay he comforted them and he said peace I leave with you in John 14 27 not as the world gives I give you a very special peace that you're gonna be calm though all these things come upon you then he encouraged them Matthew 14 27 be of good cheer I love that we had a lady that spoke to us Betty Willem's cousin Vivling Jeffrey spoke to us one time on be of good cheer does Jesus speak that to your heart and do you say that to other people you don't have to say it in King James, but you can say, "Hey, you know, um, I love you and you're special, and and I want you to know the joy that Jesus has for you, and just encourage their hearts to be a good cheer." In Matthew fourteen twenty-eight to thirty-one, I love this portion of Scripture so much. You know, Peter. Uh, would have been kind of a pain in the neck to most of us. He was always wanting to. He was so sanguine, which I I um, relate to <clears throat> to some degree. Um, but Jesus came walking on the water one night, or you know, I think that it was in the early morning watch. And what did Peter do? He goes, "Oh, you know, I want to walk on the water. Oh, Jesus, bid me come." Now I think if I had been Jesus, I would have got gone. For heaven's sakes, Peter, will you sit down and quit rocking the boat? You are always so impetuous. This would have been my time to deliver a sermon to him because he really was making a fool of himself in front of the rest of the disciples, standing up and wanting to walk on water. After all, what is the spiritual significance of walking on water anyhow, and who needs to do it? And just because Jesus did it, he didn't have to do it. And he was always so impetuous and dove into the situation, you know, just, ah, oh, and I can just see him stand up in the arrest of the apostles. John is sitting back in love and, and Thomas <laughs> doubting and, you know, all of them just kind of, <laughs> you know, and uh, here's Peter. Oh, let me walk on the water. And he said, oh, Jesus, bid me come and our precious Jesus. Said to him, and I'm sure he reached out his hand to him. I don't know, the word doesn't say that, but Jesus said, Come. Jesus encouraged him to walk on the water. Do you know Jesus is encouraging you today to get out of the boat and walk on the water? He is. And he's saying to you, Come on, come on, you can do it. Don't be afraid. He encouraged them, walk on the water, get out of the boat. And when did Peter start to sink? When he became self-conscious instead of Christ-conscious, he started to go under. But the minute he got his eyes back on Jesus, he could walk on the water. Oh, Jesus is encouraging us today. And I was thinking too of Peter being so unstable in so many ways. And one day Jesus said to him, you know, Peter, your real name is Cephas. And Cephas is a rock. And what's a rock? It's stable and it's steadfast. And if you read this guy, Peter, in the Gospels, and then you read First and Second Peter in the New Testament, you are amazed at what God did in his life. The power in his life. Everything. Oh, I challenge you today. Jesus is encouraging you to walk on the water. Okay. Oh, I want to bring this up too. How do you view your husband and your children today, do you view them as uh, your husband's a grump that never communicates with you and he's kind of a bore and you never do anything that's really special or fun or exciting or do you see a potential in him like Jesus saw in Peter? I read yesterday uh, about Joyce Landgraf, uh telling about her husband I can't remember the story that well, I'll just have to tell it my own way Uh, Every night, her husband used to ask her if she had locked the front door, and she always had, but he would always go and check. Well, she had two reactions. One, I think, was blind fury, I don't know, and the other one, she felt like he thought she was stupid or undependable. And one day, the Lord told her that she should appreciate that side of him, that that's the very thing that made him so successful in the work he did, he caught details in the work that he saw details that nobody else was able to catch, and he was a detail man. And his making sure that she locked the door was just a part of that personality that she really had loved and she needed in her own life. And she accepted him. Now, if she continued to view him as some big um, guy that thought she was stupid and all this, and always checked up on her, she would have gone into hatred instead of knowing that or into resentment rather than seeing and accepting God's love always accepts people and sees the best in them and looks for the best in them. If you see your children as loud and interrupters and bullying and all these other things, you will reflect that back to your children. You reflect to your children exactly what you think of them. You might think, Oh, I love you, you cute little thing. But there's something in your attitude that they will see and know that that isn't what you really feel. Encourage them and look for the best in them. Be patient with them. And of course, Jesus had compassion on his disciples over and over and over again. We see Jesus moved with compassion. That's caring love, empathy and sympathy combined with agape. Next of all, he assured them of his love for them. Every wife has the right to be assured of her husband's love. And if he isn't assuring you of his love, ask Jesus to so fill him with this agape love that he will assure you of his love. That's a very deep need with women. Jesus told the disciples that he loved them. And he said, love others as I have loved you. We need to affirm our love for others, not just gushy sentimentality, but deep love that accepts and keeps on loving. The Bible in John 13 says Jesus loved the disciples to the end. That means the end of his life here on earth. He keeps on loving them eternally, but he loved them to the end. No matter uh, that they forsook him, Peter denied him, they squabbled, they argued, and they doubted him, but he went right on loving them and only the love of jesus christ at work in your heart can cause you to love that way and this really amused me he cooked for them john 21 12 jesus cooked for the disciples i bet it was a gourmet meal don't you okay jesus said unto them come and dine uh, before that, it says, uh, the disciples were so discouraged after Jesus died and they'd gone fishing. And it says, as soon as they were come to land, verse 9, they saw a fire of coals there and fish laid thereon and bread. Jesus saith unto them, bring of the fish which ye have now caught. And Simon and Peter went up and they brought in a lot of fish and Jesus said, come and dine. Isn't that beautiful? He cooked for them. Are you willing to cook just out of agape love? Jesus did. He showed them true humility and their role in this world as servants. This one, this Jesus that Philippians 2 tells us had everything in heaven. He was equal with the Father. He laid all of that aside. This one who's going to be proclaimed King of kings and Lord of lords, he laid aside everything he had in heaven to come to earth to be reviled and rejected of those that he came unto, to be scorned, had uh, thorns put around his brow to be crucified and put to death. But what did he teach his disciples? As king of kings and lord of lords, he washed their feet. He taught them humility. Only the love of Jesus at work in you produces true humility. This Jesus who could command the wind and the waves, and they listened and they were still at his command. This Jesus, who opened the blind eyes and unstopped the deaf ears, caused the crippled to walk, cast demons out of people, set them free from their chains and snares and fetters. This Jesus humbled himself and washed the disciples' feet. I wonder how many people who have these great gifts in the body would be willing to do something similar to washing one another's feet. Now, I personally don't care for foot washings in our culture because they really don't represent what they're supposed to have represented. In those days, it really was an act of humility. It was the servant's task in the household to wash the people's feet as they came in. When we do it in a body like this, it's kind of a showy thing. I mean, I wouldn't mind washing anybody's feet, no big deal. Uh, you know, that it isn't humility anymore. It doesn't represent that. The things that represent humility in our culture are very, very different, and they're things that we really aren't that drawn to do. Unless the love of Jesus Christ works in it, it's taking the lesser place all the time. It's esteeming others better than ourselves. Do we feel superior to some people? That isn't God at work in us. That's the flesh. We are not to feel superior to other people at all under any circumstance. And when we do, God really goes to work on us. And he reveals himself to us, and we see ourselves as Isaiah did, And the day he saw the Lord high and lifted up, he realized how unholy he was. The last one this morning, he gave his life for them. And he said in John 3, 16, Greater love hath no man than this, that he lay down his life for his friend. That's the greatest love of all. And that's the greatest manifestation of love. It's the greatest proof that agape love is working in your life, when you're willing to lay down your life for another I know a lot of wives who aren't willing to lay down their lives for their husbands. I know a lot of wives that aren't willing to lay down their lives for their children. I know a lot of daughters that wouldn't lay down their lives for their mother. And yet they profess great love for these people. Well, they may have great phileo, and they may have great stergo, or in a marriage they may have great eros, but they don't have agape. Agape love makes you want to lay down your life for another Chuck tells the story, and I've shared it in class before, but it it presents the point so clearly. I want to share it with you quickly this morning. There was a little girl about six years old with a very serious blood disease, and the doctors realized that the only way her life could be saved was with a transfusion of the same kind of blood she had. And the only person that had the same kind of blood was her brother, who was just a couple of years older. They went to the little boy, and they asked him if he'd be willing to give blood for his sister. And he he thought for a while, and he bit his lower lip, and he said, yes, he would. And the day came, and he gave the blood, and he watched life pour back into his little sister's cheeks, and the color kind of returned to his face. And he lay on the table, and tears began to course down his cheeks, unbidden tears. And the doctor looked at him, and he said, what's the matter? Your sister's going to live. The little boy went, yes, and he said, but when do I die? When he made the decision to give the blood for his little sister, he made the choice to die for his little sister. How many of us this morning have the love of Jesus Christ flowing in our heart in such measure that we'd be willing to lay down our life for another? Shall we pray? Father, when we realize that this is a sign that the world's gonna know that we're your disciples, this love that we have one for another. Lord, we realize how empty we are and how very, very much we need you to just pour in your love by the Holy Spirit. Lord, I just pray that you'll take us as a corporate body today and give us a divine transfusion of your love. Oh, Father, I just pray that in our desire to please you, we will see that it has to start with this love as the motivation and the proof of everything we do and of our relationship to you i ask this morning that you will deal very severely with our hearts lord i give you permission and i am agreeing with every woman in this in this class this morning if you're willing to give him permission to work in your heart that this agape love might just be at work in your heart, would you just raise your hand this morning? we're going to agree together for you, Father, you see every hand lifted this morning, and we are lifting this hand as a sign of surrender unto you, to give you permission to work in our lives to do what is necessary. Lord, crush the rose petals that the fragrance of your beauty might come forth through our lives that we might love as Jesus loved, that we might express to this sin-cursed world the beauty and the wonder of that love which caused Jesus to give his life for us. Lord, may this work continue in our hearts. May it not just be something that we hear this morning and let slip, but I pray you will keep us in First Corinthians 13 and 4 to 7, daily, hour after hour, When our husbands come in tonight, when the children come in, may the love of Jesus Christ um, infused in us by the Holy Spirit be shed abroad so much in our homes that there will be a sunniness and a light in there that they've never seen before, a brightness that is so bright it just overwhelms them. Instead of being critical or carping or nagging or any of those things, Oh, may the warmth of your spirit just flow through us and draw that husband, draw that roommate, draw that mom or dad or that little child into us. Lord, may our children just say, Mom, what happened today? I can tell you've been with Jesus. Lord, if the children are walking in sin or or caught up in alcohol or drugs, may the prayers of this mother, motivated by love and a desire to see that child walking before you, get her on her knees in her closet day after day, hour after hour, till she sees the love of Jesus Christ born in his heart. Lord, we just hold on to you this morning and we cling to you that you will do that work in each of our lives. We pray also this morning for this special request concerning Sandy Meyer, Lord, who's found she has cancer and has four little children. I ask that the healing power of Jesus Christ be extended towards that girl. Oh, Father, in this room today, we reach out with agape love in our hearts, asking that you, who know every sparrow that falls to the ground, you know Sandy Meyer, her ways are not hidden from you. Touch that body with the healing power of Jesus Christ, we pray. Thank you, Father. In Jesus' name we ask these things. Amen.